And please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll finish this up. Uh, I was reading this and just had a burden for the text because it's so applicable to our own time and age. Um, uh, people being presumptuous uh, concerning their salvation while their hearts are far from the Lord. This is what Christ talks about in these verses uh, this morning. If you please stand for the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Matthew as we finish out this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll start our reading in verse 21 of chapter 7 and read down through uh, chapter 7 into verse 29. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I would preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of our God this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, the primary means of grace in our lives is the proclamation of your word. So how we pray, Lord, that you would be with us at this moment. Be with me, O God. Keep me from error. Keep me from uh, having half-hearted effort in my preaching. Lord, may I have your grace and the power of your spirit, O God, to preach with unction and to preach with certainty and to preach, O God, with uh, conviction. And pray for your people as they hear that you would take a lethargy away from us, that you would take a lack of interest away from us. God, we pray that if any are here today who are outside of your grace, that you would bring them to faith in Christ and grant to them salvation. Any here who are struggling, Lord, with a particular sin, any here who are struggling with uh, encouragement, that you would bless, O God, that you would meet the needs of your people. And we may leave here saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing that you notice if you drive around this city on the roads in the uh, uh, medical center, there's always construction going on. I was uh, in the uh, doctor's office. I think it was my pulmonologist about the 16th floor of one of the buildings down the medical center. I counted 12 uh, cranes scattered out the medical center area, construction going on. If you notice, if you drive up Brazewood in Chimney Rock and Brazewood and South Rice and Brazewood, uh, they're building new bridges. Uh, the kind of the idea was those old bridges were sort of, sort of served as dams during Harvey. And so they're building these uh, elevated bridges to hopefully that uh, if it ever rains like that again, we won't flood again. I happen to think personally if it rains like that again, we probably will flood again because it's a lot of water that fell in two days. 
Always construction going on. Well, did you know uh, that according to Jesus in this text, we are all construction workers. We are all builders. Whether you realize it or not, whether you admit it or not, we are all involved in construction. And the construction that Christ is talking about here in the text is the way that you live your life. The way that you build your life and the foundation of the, uh, upon which you are building your life day in and day out. So you're either building, resting upon Christ and upon His Word alone, or you are building upon a foundation that is sure to give way. I don't know if you ever saw the films of the houses in California that were built on hillsides and it started raining and those houses slipped. Huge houses slip right down the hillside. As that mud gives way, they slide away. And uh, the beach, if you've ever been to the beach, we get a lot of sand on the beaches, at least over in uh, the, the uh, panhandle of Florida. If you stand there and the tide's coming in or just waves coming in, the sand gives way under your feet. You can imagine building a house on something like that. It would not stand even a day. It would give way. Well, here in the text, uh, Christ is calling us to check our foundation, to consider where we are building, what is the foundation upon which we are building, and to examine ourselves closely in that and see to it that as those who profess faith in Christ, we are building upon the solid foundation of Jesus. Have us to see this this morning, that those who sincerely are trusting in the Word of God will find strength to stand in the assaults of life. Those who are sincerely trusting upon the Word of God given to us in Christ Jesus those who are resting upon the solid foundation of Christ's word, which means resting upon Jesus and the gospel, that those people will stand up in the midst of difficulties and trials. And there are three things this morning. i got to tell you, I struggled with this outline. I had several different main points, and I didn't like any of them. So last night, and I usually end up going to bed on Saturday night thinking about my sermon going over in my head, and i got these three points that I think are better. They might not be great, but it's better than what I had before. So the purpose of the parable, the point of the parable, and the power of the parable. Very simple outline, easy to remember. The purpose of the parable, the point of the parable, and the power of the parable. And the first thing then, the purpose of the parable. Christ has said in the above verses that we looked at last week, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he's saying here is not all who claim faith are true believers. They think they are believers, but they are deceived. Again, because they're resting upon not Jesus, but in fact, they're resting upon the things that they do. Here in these texts, the last portion of this Sermon on the Mount, in these few verses, Christ turns forward to ultimately the last day. Ultimately the last day. But also the days in our own lives when we face trials, we face difficulties, and how we bear up under the trials and difficulties will be quite significant. Because it reflects, really, your basic presupposition. Are you resting upon Christ and his gospel? Are you believing the word of Christ? Are you trusting in what Jesus says? Do you believe when Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that that's true? Or are you resting upon something else? And really trusting yourself in the things that you do. And that is your hope in this world and in the next. Well, Christ brings us here to the fact that we will one day give an account for the things that we do. 
that we will one day be held responsible before the Lord for the things that we did, the way that we lived our life, whether good or bad. So at the end of this, think about what all Jesus has said as he comes to the end of this absolutely marvelous sermon. As you know, he starts out with what we call the Beatitudes. It's basically a blueprint for the character of the Christian. Blessed are those who are pure, are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean here? Well, blessed are those who recognize their own spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who recognize their own sinfulness. The poor in spirit, not arrogant, not puffed up, not full of self-righteousness and pride, but being broken before the holy God, being broken before the Savior, recognizing that, and this is not a poor self-image. It's not what we're talking about. That's a bunch of nonsense that believers are supposed to have poor self-images. No, they shouldn't. But they recognize before Christ, before God, that they're sinful. And they deserve nothing but God's wrath and condemnation. That's what we deserve. So we're poor in spirit. We don't come before Christ claiming any rights whatsoever. And those who are poor in spirit, it follows, well, they mourn because of their own sin. Blessed are those who mourn, he says, for they should be comforted. You see, all of these have a great benefit to them. Then he goes on to talk about being salt and light. He goes on to talk about the the true understanding of the law, not the pharisaical understanding, but the way that God looks at it. And the fact that we recognize that the law is much more than simply outward actions, but the law rather has to do with the heart. Now that we can break the law without doing anything physically. We can break the law by hearts, uh, by our own thoughts and our own attitudes. We can become guilty and become lawbreakers, and we do. He goes on to talk about... Uh, uh, how to pray, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer there in, in the sixth chapter of the book of, of Matthew. Uh, he goes on to talk about uh, from that laying up stores and, and treasure. Our treasures in heaven laying up uh, things, uh, uh, our, our greatest uh, desires, our greatest treasures to be heavenward and not of the earth where things rust and things corrupt and things uh, pass away. And if you've ever bought a car, you'll see that pretty quickly in a couple of years. It's just not what it used to be. My birthday was yesterday. I'm not what I used to be. I turned, uh, I'm not going to tell you. You could look it up. I'm not going to, you can do work if you want to know how old I am. But um, I've had to have things replaced on me, you know, um, because things don't work like they used to. Things wear out. And so our treasures then should not be here where things are bound to ruin, but they should be in heaven. He goes on to talk about not being anxious in the last of this. Then he comes to this finally, these sections of the, of the Sermon on the Mount uh, of uh, uh, where is our real trust. Uh, is it in Christ and building our lives upon his word or are we building it upon something else? And understand this, that in this text, as we saw last week, that everyone here that stands before Jesus uh, claims faith. Uh, they all claim to be uh, believers. Uh, they claim they preached in the name of Jesus. Did we not prophesy in your name, Lord? Uh, they claim to have cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Did we not do these works on your behalf, Lord? Uh, they claim to have done mighty acts in the name of Jesus. And the problem is, uh, they don't have faith. The problem is, as they stand before Christ and they make these claims, they are not standing before Christ as those who sincerely rest upon Christ and his work alone. But they're looking at themselves. And it could be, as he says here, depart from me, you who practice iniquity. It might well be that they are living very ungodly lives, hypocrites. 
Now, the Pharisees thought that they were quite godly, but they weren't. They hated Christ. But they thought they were quite godly. And yet, uh, they called for him to be put to death. The last night, he was here on the earth. And he was crucified before his resurrection. And he was in the grave for a time. It might be that they were simply hypocrites. It might be that they simply didn't take seriously the gospel. It might be that uh, they didn't really believe what they were preaching. That's another possibility. I remember a man, this was a godly man. He was a very good man. He was diagnosed with cancer. He was a minister in our presbytery. He was talking to Danny McDaniel, who uh, is uh, another elder in our presbytery. And he said this to Danny. It's time for me to start uh, practicing what I've been preaching for all these years. Uh, he knew he was not, did not get a good report. He knew he was likely was going to die. And so now he faced that, uh, that one-way journey, so-called, and how he was going to face it. And it is uh, that he was recognizing his need to simply trust in Christ and Christ alone. Well, here are these people that stand before Jesus and claim the things that they did. Well, they were not trusting in Christ and Christ alone. They were trusting in themselves, and they practiced lawlessness, he says here. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And the question you can ask yourself is, am I practicing lawlessness? Am I being deceived? Is it that I really am not resting in Christ and seeking to be all that I can be in the name of Jesus and seeking to obey him in every aspect of my life and really looking at the world uh, as Christ would look at it, not having my treasures here, but really my treasures are in heaven. I'm making allowances for sinful activity, not really being broken over it. And they have this problem, and I know this have this problem, but I don't care enough about it to really work on it. Is that where you are? Well, see, if it is, then you would fit that category of practicing lawlessness. I'm not saying if you're struggling, you're not a believer. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, as those who profess faith in Christ, we have to deal with inconsistencies in our life, even though it's difficult. We are called to do so. What does Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me. You will keep my commandments. And we find in our own lives, when we fail to do that, and we are loving ourselves far more than we are loving Christ. Every time we make an allowance for sin, every time we make an allowance for lawlessness, we are loving ourselves much more than we are loving Christ. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Well, here are these people that stand before him. Jesus says these most horrible words that anyone could ever hear, depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, depart from me. Well, the uh, tragedy is ultimately that these people simply do not believe the gospel. They simply don't believe the gospel. They don't take it seriously. They are religious. They are very, very religious folks. But their hearts aren't sold out to Christ. Their hearts have not embraced Jesus as he has offered to us in the gospel. And they are looking to other things and other avenues to give them an assurance of their salvation. Lord, we did these things in your name. And you should be happy about it. You should be glad. You should be thankful to us that we did these things. That's the epitome of arrogance and foolishness. So Jesus is basically saying that faith matters in your life. If you profess faith in Christ, that faith matters. That profession matters. What difference then does it make practically in your life. That's the question we have before us. He is dealing with 
uh, one's outlook and one's behavior as they live this life. Again, both of these individuals are building, and basically another way of saying how they live their life, and as they live their life, what's the basis of their hope for the world to come? Both of them are building, and some are building upon a solid foundation, which are the words of Christ and also the gospel of our Savior, believing in Him. They both profess faith. They are both building. But one is building upon Jesus and resting upon Christ, seeking to be obedient to Him in all things. The other is looking upon themselves and not building upon Christ. And there are people, listen to this, there are people in the church today that fall under that second category. You understand that? There are people in the church today who are full of confidence, and yet their hearts aren't really, have not really embraced Jesus and rested upon Him and Him alone for salvation. And what is going to be a, an aspect to every one of those individuals is self-righteousness. Every one of them will be, have a certain amount of self-righteousness in them. The structures may look the same. In fact, they may be identical, but they are not. One has a foundation that is upon weak and shifting sand. The other is upon the foundation of the solid rock of Christ and his words. Well, the point of the parable, and that was the purpose of the parable, to bring to the minds of the people that there's a distinction between uh, where they are, are, are building, some upon a rock and then some upon the shifting sand. Well, uh, the point of it, well, trials come into the lives of believers. Trials come into the lives of everyone. We all face difficulties, right? Everyone does. You may be at a point in your life and you have faced some extremely difficult things. Some people face them early on. Others get by until a later point in their lives. Well, the storms come, he says here. The rains uh, came down. The floodwaters are coming down. The wind is blowing. These are analogies of uh, that represents trials in our lives. So Jesus wants us to know that they're bound to come, that you will suffer. You will face difficulties in this world. Trials are no respecter of persons. Trials are no respecter of persons, young and old, rich and poor, wise and unwise, all face trials. They come. Some will be slight, sort of an annoyance. Others will be very severe. Others will be very trying. Others that come that are very difficult may cause us to question uh, whether we actually believe that God is wise and God is sovereign, whether we believe that God is actually good and loving and kind. You're told that you have cancer. Or worse, you're told your child has cancer. Huh. This is where is God then? What are you building your life upon? A husband comes and tells his wife, I found someone new. I like the people you know, in, the, the, uh, in, in Malachi, where Malachi talks about you have, you have been unfaithful. You have denied the wife of your youth. She's gotten older. And you've traded her in for a new model. You've been, the, you have been unfaithful to the covenant of the wife of your, of your youth. And that happens today in Christian homes. When a husband says, I found someone else, I'm leaving. And the hopes and the dreams that she had come crashing down. The security that she had comes to a screeching halt. And what is she going to do now? I don't know how many of you know who Rick Santorum is. Some of you do. 
I saw him being interviewed a few days ago. It's not about politics. It's about life. His wife was pregnant with uh, their son, Gabriel. She was having a sonogram. The nurse dropped the wand to get the picture, left the office quickly. The doctor came in, did the same examination, said this to them. Your child's going to die. Put it just like that to him. Your child's going to die. He said that was the absolute most horrific thing that ever happened to him. No compassion. No sense of, of, of care. No sense of loving kindness. Your child's going to die. And he did. He lived for two hours. Imagine those remaining weeks and months they had left in that, in that pregnancy. When they knew the child was going to die and the doctor was so hard about it. What do you do then? Over those next few months, those next few weeks, when you know what is down before you and down the road waiting you is a great trial. Well, it depends. It depends on whether or not you are really trusting Christ and trusting God's goodness, even in the midst of a great difficulty. You've actually found out you've built your, your hopes upon sand and it just falls apart. And you find that you don't really love God or love Christ after all. Because how could he possibly do this to me? The thing to do at a time like that is not to reject Christ, but to turn to him. And to know the strength of Christ. As you understand this, he's a covenant child. And I believe that when they die here, they go to be with Christ. They don't become annihilated. They don't vanish. They don't go to a place of non-existence. But those who are covenant children, as the confession says, all children dying in infancy, all elect children dying in infancy, all elect children dying in infancy, go to be with Christ. John Calvin, some of you know who John Calvin was, believed that all infants dying in infancy went to heaven. You want to argue with Calvin about it? You can when you get to heaven. (laughs) But there's a hope there, you see, that that only comes from the gospel. Only comes from the gospel. And as trials do work their grace, Rick Santorum said it was used in his life to draw him closer to Christ. Not push him away, but draw him closer to Christ. Losing a job. You have no idea how you're going to take care of your family. You're married and you have children. You lose your job. How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to have your, pay for your home? And all those kind of things that come upon us. Well, trials in the life of the Christian can be challenging to Our faith. That's what they're for. That's why he brings them to us. That's why God brings him in his providence. What does James say? Uh, Consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials of various kinds. Consider it joy. Uh, Knowing that God is working and God is perfecting you and God uh, has his hand in this, not for your bad, but for your good. What does it say in Hebrews and the uh, 11th chapter? Or it's the 12th chapter, I can't remember, where he says this. God, as parents and fathers love their children and they discipline them, so God disciplines us. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because we've been particularly bad. But in the 11th, chap- 11th verse, I think, of that chapter, it says this. It must be in chapter 12. In the 11th verse of that chapter, he says this. In order that... We may share in his holiness. It's one of the clauses in Greek. It means purpose or reason. In order that we may share in his holiness. 
So God would then have us to be holy. He would have us to be Christ-like. And he brings us difficulties in our lives so that he can drive us away? No. So that he can discourage us? No. So that as we go through it through faith, we will be more like Christ. That's why he brings them. In order that, it says there in that text, we may share in his holiness. Well, the two builders respond differently to the same storm. They respond differently. Again, one responds in faith as the rains fell by bucketfuls, as the floodwaters of Harvey rose, as the winds of Ike blew. And one stood firm because he was trusting in the words of Christ and resting upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus who loved him so much that he purchased heaven for him. The other one did not fare so well. The rains came, the waters rose, the winds blew, and the structure fell. He lost his faith. Let me read this quote to you. I think Spurgeon wrote this. I didn't put a name by it. It's not from not original with me. He said this, they bring their bodies to the house of prayer, but not their souls. They worship with their mouths, but in spirit, but not in spirit and in truth. They are strictless for immersion or early morning communion, yet take no thought about keeping their hearts with all diligence. They boast of their orthodoxy, but disregard the precepts of Christ. Multitudes of professing Christians abstain from external acts of violence, yet hesitate not to rob their neighbor of a good name by spreading evil reports about them. They contribute regularly to the pastor's salary. That's a good one right there. But shrink not from misrepresenting their goods and cheating their customers, persuading themselves that this is good business. They have more regard for the laws of man than those of God, for his fear is not before their eyes. That's the person who builds his house upon the sand. There's no real commitment to Christ. There's no real commitment to obedience. They're religious. They're very religious. But they're not converted. And therefore, the acts that they do are not pleasing to God. And they are not saved. The reason they stand is because of resting upon Christ and his word. He actually believes in Christ He actually hates his sin. He's actually striving to be holy before the Lord. He believes and has embraced the gospel, and it influences his life. It's the main influence of his life. Your basic presuppositions come into play here. What are your basic presuppositions? As a Christian, it should be this, that God has revealed himself in creation, in the scriptures, that God is holy, that God exists, and by the way, the Bible never seeks to prove God's existence. It, is, it presupposes the existence of God. In the beginning, God created. It presupposes his existence. And so that, where is your starting point? Is it that, that God is a personal God who is holy, who is merciful, who is kind, who has redeemed us through his son by his death on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead? He was raised for our justification, it says in the book of Romans. Or is your presupposition that there may be a God, but it's your own personal. And I wonder if he exists at all. 
Or it may be this, that there's a God and I uh, am right with him by doing things. That's how I become right with God. So the basic presupposition of this individual is that God is holy. God is personal. He has spoken to us in creation. He has spoken to us through his son, who is our redeemer, who is our hope for this world and the next, and our only hope for this world and the next. And when storms come my way, it is not that God has deserted me, but he is very much involved. I said in the Sunday school class this morning, as we were going through, starting into Acts chapter 8, that we must live our lives with an awareness of God's sovereignty. His hands are on everything. We must live our lives with, with an awareness of God's sovereignty. And the, the attitudes in our own nation seem to be turned against the church, but God is sovereign. He's still sovereign. What passes for the gospel in many pulpits is not the gospel at all. It's some make-believe fairy tale that's intended to make us feel good and be happy about ourselves. But God is sovereign. He is still ruling over all things. So we rest upon the Lord and rest upon him alone, trusting in him. The last thing is the power of the parable, as the people said at the end of this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Remember what they said in John chapter 7. Even the leaders, after hearing Jesus speak, they said this. No man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man. And you remember there were other leaders who said, have you been deceived too? Have you been dissuaded from the truth as well as the others who listened to this man, Jesus? No man ever spoke like this man because it was God speaking. That's why. God speaking in the flesh. And so that when Jesus... um, was on the uh, ship, and he spoke to the wind and the waves, and it stopped. And the disciples said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. What kind of man is this? No man ever spoke like this man. And here, the contrary teaching of Jesus to the, to the Pharisees. And Christ said, You think you're right with God because you do things. Let me tell you, you're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. The Pharisees are lawbreakers, but they don't see it, you see. Because they haven't actually broken the law, they think they're right with God. No, no, they're not, because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of thought, and you can sin with your thoughts as well as doing something in fact and in deed. No man ever spoke like this man. The power of the words of Jesus. The power of the parable, filled with truth, filled with words that Christ himself has spoken. You know what a blowhard is? A blowhard? Everybody knows what a blowhard is, right? Y'all have heard that term before? It's not a Mississippi term, is it? A blowhard? Okay, good, good. You know what it is. Well, imagine someone that is a blowhard. They boast arrogantly, unpleasantly, but so much of what they say has no teeth in it. They're braggers, they're boasters, but they're inept. 
Well, the individual who says he loves Christ and wants to follow after Christ but not, is not resting simply upon Jesus and the gospel, is not striving to be obedient to Christ, is making a false profession. Because it's those who rest upon Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm not saying here you have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. If it was up to our perfection, all of us would be in hell. But it's not up to that. It's up to who Jesus is and your relationship to Christ. And do you love him? Are you resting upon him and him alone for your salvation? Not anything that you do. And do you show that resting upon Jesus by obedience? You have no quarter to sin. You have no excuses for it. But to name it for what it is. And I've told people before, when you confess your sins to God, name them. You, you have this, this generic confession, forgive me for my sins, amen. No, name them. Name them. That makes you own them before God. If you name them. And you can excuse them. Lord, forgive me for my hatred for this individual. Forgive me for my lie that I told here in this particular case. Forgive me for those particular things that I've done. And name them. It makes you admit to yourself that what you're doing, God disapproves of. is wrong. It's helpful to do that. Is it easy to live the Christian life? Charles and I were talking about this when we met for prayer this morning in my office. No. It's not easy to live the Christian life. Not at all. Is it worth it? Yes, sir. It's well worth it. Because you have certainty of having victory over death and sin. You have certainty of being in glory with Christ and the company of the redeemed for a month, for a couple of months, forever. We look forward to the day of the resurrection of the dead and having Christ appear. When the earth shall give up its dead and you'll be among those who look forward to going into glory with Christ in the company of the redeemed. Let's pray.